This is the message given by Pastor Micah Anglo during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for June 11, 2023. The title of the message is God's Solution for Anxiety. Thank you, Brother Joe. Good morning, Faith Presbyterian. It's good to see all of you again. I believe I was here just a few months ago. I don't remember when exactly I came uh, the first time, but it's, I'm so happy to be back here. I'm thankful for Pastor James to invite me back. That means I didn't do a terrible job last time. So usually when you don't get invited back as a preacher is when you did a terrible job. So uh, I'm encouraged. Uh, good to see familiar faces. Um, if you don't know me, I am, my name is Micah. I'm a pastor at Pillar Bible Church just down the street. So we're your neighbors on Carson and Cherry. Uh, and so we have a service in the afternoon over there. We've been in Long Beach for about maybe eight or nine years now. And uh, I've been pastoring there for 10 years. Uh, and just God has been gracious to us. And um, we're just happy to uh, just co-labor with you in Long Beach. Pastor James is in the same pastor's fellowship as me. So he's uh, just been an encouraging brother to my soul. We've had a few lunches together. And um, he's just, you have a dear pastor in Pastor James. And so uh, I'm just so happy to be here just to share God's word again uh, with you guys. Uh, just to let you know, you guys are on our uh, membership directory in the back where we have a list of gospel preaching churches that we labor with. And so we pray for your church actually maybe once every couple of months uh, during the service. So we prayed for you guys two Sundays ago. And uh, Pastor James sent me some prayer requests just to pray for your church. So uh, just to let you know, you're on our heart regularly, and we pray for you guys on a regular basis. And so we're just happy to labor with you. Uh, but as we continue the service, I have the privilege of leading us in reading God's Word, which will be the center of our sermon for today. And so if you can take your Bibles and turn to uh, the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and our, I'll be reading from verses 25 to 34. Uh, the passage is listed in your bulletin for today, and I'll go ahead and read uh, from the English Standard Version. I have in front of me the New American Standard Version, but I'll go ahead and read the ESV for us for today. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. And the Word of God says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 
Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the reading of God's holy word, and God's people say, Amen. Amen. Please bow your heads with me as we pray and ask for God's blessing upon us today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the power that it has, the power to save, and the power to sanctify. We thank you for Faith Presbyterian Church here in Long Beach. We thank you for our dear uh, gospel preaching church here in Long Beach. And we pray that you would care for each and every one of the members here. Lord, you know their trials. You know their difficulties. You know their worries and anxieties. Because of your omniscience, you are intimately acquainted with every single one of our needs. And because of that, Lord, we can trust you. We can trust you with our worries. We can trust you with our difficulties. And we pray, Father, that today we would be oriented towards your word. Encourage us today. Encourage our hearts. Help us not to worry. Help us to seek your kingdom first and to know that our tomorrow and our today is cared for by you. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Pastor and author Paul Tauchis one day went to the emergency room. He went to the emergency room because he was experiencing a season of depression, worry, and anxiety. And it seems as though the pressures of life and ministry had led him to show symptoms of a heart attack, which is why he went to the hospital. When they did tests on his heart, they found out that it actually wasn't a heart attack that he was suffering. He was suffering from a stress-induced heart problem called broken heart syndrome. If you're not familiar with this, it's a heart condition where when the body is put through stressful situations like significant loss, grief, extreme emotions, the body will produce stress hormones that affects the heart's ability to pump blood. And what it does is the symptoms of broken heart syndrome can mimic a heart attack, all because of stress and anxiety. He learned that day that this was actually a very common thing amongst people, where people will experience chest pain, shortness of breath, irregular heartbeats, and, and, and weakness. And thinking that they're having a heart attack, they are actually experiencing broken heart syndrome. And that's because worry is everywhere. Worry comes in all shapes and sizes. You're here today because you have worries and anxieties and troubles. doesn't matter how young or old you are doesn't matter where you come from, what you've experienced. Everyone here today has some form of a problem, trial, or difficulty that's causing you anxiety. Maybe you can deal with it better than others. Maybe you're here today and you feel like you have no hope. I'm here to encourage you today, saints. Where are you today? What worries you today? And with whatever overwhelms you, whatever burdens of your heart you have today, I want to show you practical help from the scriptures in Matthew chapter 6. 
Matthew chapter 6 is a very popular passage that many of us have memorized and understood and maybe have heard sermons about. But I hope that this passage isn't so familiar that we can't glean uh, just reminders or even new truths from this passage that will help encourage us in the midst of anxiety. And so if you are struggling today, saints, if you are discouraged today, I have come to bring from God's word practical help and practical encouragement. Where I've titled this message, God's Solution for Anxiety, which is we're going to learn that we're going to prioritize Christ. And when we prioritize Christ, we will have an internal peace that will help us and trust that God will provide and take care of us as his people. Amen. Let's go on to Matthew chapter 6. If you've read Matthew chapter, chapters 5 through 7, you know that we are in the Sermon on the Mount. King Jesus is giving uh, this very popular sermon And the Sermon on the Mount is all about uh, giving kingdom ethics for kingdom dwellers. And so Jesus is giving this um, instructions on what present present righteousness looks like for future kingdom dwellers. If you are uh, dwelling in the kingdom of God, if you will be a future kingdom dweller, this is what you should be looking like as a future kingdom dweller. So he is teaching his disciples about what kingdom dwellers look like. And in this section of chapter 6, he has uh, first talked about how no one can serve two masters. That you are either serving God or you're serving wealth or serving the things of this world. He says if you're serving God and God is your master, then there are certain implications for your life. One of those implications in verses 25 to 34, that you should not worry about your life. We're going to look at this in four parts if you're taking notes. The first part. The first reason why we shouldn't worry as Christians when we face the future is that God gives more meaning to our life. Look at me in verse 25. God gives more meaning to our life. Look how he starts with, for this reason. He he says, he points back to the context of chapter 6, and he's saying, since you have a single-hearted devotion, since God is your master, for that reason, the master will take care of you. And you don't have to worry about your life. And so he commands them to stop worrying, which assumes that you have the ability to stop worrying, because sometimes we feel like we don't have the ability to stop being anxious, but we do. He says, stop worrying, stop being anxious, and stop being consumed by this type of worry. Well, first to stop this, we have to define what worry is, right? One person has put anxiety or worry as defined by this. Anxiety... Or worry is anxiety based off of perceived or real misfortune. So it could be the true threat to our life, or it could be a perceived threat, meaning it's just in our heads. Some people have defined anxiety as this, living out the future before it gets here. Those are a couple of definitions of anxiety. What type of anxiety are we talking about? Verse 25, Jesus is is talking about the worries about what we eat and what we drink and the things related to our body and what we will put on. And he says, these worries are all related to the things that sustain physical life. These are putting material concerns over the concerns of God. And we have to clarify these things, right? Having concerns or feeling negative feelings is not inherently sinful. Sometimes we try to be good theologians and we tell our friends and fellow church members when they're worrying, we say, 
Oh, you're worrying? You're in sin. You should repent. You're just not trusting God enough. I think that's a little bit too simplistic. I think sometimes when we feel negative feelings, we realize that not all negative feelings are inherently sinful. How do we know this? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight had a feeling of concern for the churches that they would abandon the gospel. That's not sinful. That's a, that's a genuine concern. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? He was concerned to the point of sweating drops of blood. Concerned about facing the cross. Concerned about uh, facing the wrath of God on behalf of us. And I, I, I don't think any of us here would dare to say that Jesus himself sinned at the Garden of Gethsemane. He was perfect. He was holy. And so feeling negative feelings of concern is not inherently sinful. So what type of worry is verse 25 talking about? Well, I think this type of worry is an obsessive concern. It's an obsessive worry where our thoughts and our emotions just so overwhelm us that we forget God's role in caring for us day to day. I think that's the type of worry that becomes problematic where we are wondering about God and to God, is this really going to work out? We fear so much that life will cease because of our problems, that our lives will be changed, that we won't get what we want. And that type of worry, anxiety, replaces our faith in God. And what does he say at the end of verse 25? He says, is not life more than the food and the clothing and all that we have to worry about that? Jesus is emphasizing to his disciples that life is more than just your problems. Isn't that great to know? That is great to know that you are not defined by your problems. You're not defined by your anxieties. You're not defined by the things that cause you to suffer. What defines us is not our concerns, but we are defined by our identity in Christ. We find our value and our definition in who we are in Christ and our relationship with God. And sometimes we forget that life is more than just our problems. God defines who we are. The one who gives us life is God himself. So since he gives us life through the gospel, he also defines our value in our life. And so the key to anxiety, saints, is perspective. It is perspective and focusing on the God who gives us life rather than focusing on the problems that we have. And that is what the gospel was meant to do. When God sent his son, Jesus Christ, he sent him into human history to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to be that sufficient atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if you're not a Christian here today, that is available for you to believe in as well. And you can claim that promise, you can claim salvation, and you can believe in Christ. And he gave that greater gift of salvation that is not just relevant for a judgment day, it is relevant for our day-to-day. And so when we think about the gospel hope, God not only pr- promises to care for us on the day of judgment, he promises to provide every single day. It is a gospel hope and a gospel truth that reminds us that there is more to life than just our worries. God gives us more meaning to our life. Secondly, God values you more than creation. Look at verses 26 to 30. 
he gives this illustration by saying, look how, how much God loves you. He loves you more than the birds of the air, and he loves you more than the lilies of the field. If you look at verse 26, he, uh, Jesus points his disciples to the birds of the air, and he says, look at these birds. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns. Uh, these birds were probably the unclean birds of the Old Testament, thinking of just the, the lowliest of animals or the lowliest category of birds. And if we could try to modernize that here in, into our day in history, if you think about the, the, the dirtiest birds that you can come up of, you know, what, what do you think about? For me, I think of pigeons, right? Uh, pigeons are probably the, the dirtiest birds that I can think of. And every time we eat out, I always try to, to shoo the pigeons away from my kids. And for some reason, my kids just love to touch the pigeons. Um, there's something about kids just love touching dirty things. And so when we think of pigeons, um, pigeons always manage to get food, right? For some reason, birds always manage somehow to eat. They survive. They get provided for. But for some reason, even the, the lowliest, dirtiest birds, they don't work. They don't have a Roth IRA, 401k. They don't have a, a secure job. They, they don't do these things that we do, yet for some reason, they're always provided for. And I've, you know, I've never seen a worried bird before. Have you? I've been a pastor for 10 years, and no bird has come to me for biblical counseling. And so when we look at the birds as this example that Jesus gives, and he says, look at the birds. They are an obvious illustration that if God provides for these lowly, dirty creatures, how much more so would he not provide for you? You who are created in the image of God, but not just created in the image of God, but you are a child of God because of Jesus Christ. And so it's an argument from the lesser to greater. And he says, if he provides for the birds, will he not provide for you in your troubles, in your problems, in difficulties? And then he says in verse 27, why are you worrying? Can that extend your life? Literally, can it add a cubit, a measure of length to your life? And so the idea here is that worry does not lengthen life at all. And if we know our, our biology, worry does not do that. Actually, worry can shorten our life. Worry has been known, as we had just talked about, uh, to, hamp uh, to, to dampen or hinder our life and make us unhealthy. It's never the solution to our problems. It's actually counterproductive to our troubles and can actually shorten our life. And Jesus notes that, that he says, if you're wallowing in this type of worry and anxiety, don't do that because it will not solve your problems. We think it will. That's why we stay there and remain there. But Jesus says it won't. He not only uses... The birds as an illustration, he uses the lilies of the field. Uh, look at verses uh, 28 through 29. He says, why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They don't toil or spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. Look at the second illustration where he talks about clothing. It's urgent, but not as important as food and water and shelter, right? Um, and he says, if you're worried about clothing, look at the lilies of the field, the wildflowers that would grow in that area of Jerusalem. He says they grow, they bloom, they're even beautiful, yet they, like the birds, don't have a job. They don't work. They don't spin for their clothes. 
They don't produce their own clothing, but they somehow are clothed in beauty by God. And the illustration of how beautiful they are is in verse 29, where they compare uh, their beauty to the beauty of Solomon's attire. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, Solomon, as uh, one of the wisest kings, was not only wise, but he was also, what, rich. Solomon was loaded, right? He had a lot of wealth. 1 Kings 10, in describing his wealth, uses the term gold ten times in that chapter to describe his wealth. And if you're wealthy... Usually that's coupled with really, really nice clothes. And so I don't know if, if Solomon shopped at Armani or just Chanel or all those things. They probably didn't have that in Israel. But the equivalent shops back then, he probably shopped there, right? So he dressed really, really nicely because of all that wealth. But in Solomon's wealth and beauty and attire, the comparison there is to just one. Note that, verse 29, one of the wildflowers And so Jesus says, in all of Solomon's wealth and and, and royal attire, his wealth and attire can't even compare to the beauty of one single flower. That is how meticulously providential our Lord is. That he so clothes and makes beautiful a single flower even greater than Solomon's wealth. And if he provides for flowers in that magnificent way, If he provides for birds in that faithful way, how will he not provide for you? That is the illustration. That God treasures you more than these. If you look at verse 30, he actually describes how temporary they are. You see the word grass right there? He he called them flowers before, and now in verse 30, he calls them grass to emphasize their temporary nature. So they're alive today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow. Yet they were clothed in beauty. So they were beautiful for only a short time, yet God provided for them. And so if God provides for temporary creation, how much more so for us who will live with him for all eternity, for those who are his disciples. And that's why he ends with verse 30. He says, you of little faith. He told his disciples, you have little faith. The faith was present The faith was genuine, but it was what? It was little. And sometimes we feel like that, right? When our trials and our anxieties get so overwhelming, our faith feels like it's shrinking and diminishing uh, to a really small speck. And he says, you of little faith, remember these things to enlarge in your faith, to grow your faith. And so I want to encourage you, saints, if you're here today, and you just feel like you have weak faith, can I encourage you to do one very practical thing? Go outside. If you go outside, you will look at the clouds, you will look at the birds of the sky, you look at the trees and the grass, and you will see how God providentially cares for creation. And he cares for creation abundantly. And that is a living illustration and a reminder that God is going to take care of you. Do you believe that with your health problems? Do you believe that with your children going astray and not believing in Christ? Do you believe that when the money isn't coming in and your job isn't what you thought it would be? Use creation as a living illustration for you to encourage you in your faith. 
Also, I want to encourage you to be responsible and work hard. This is not a passage that encourages you not to uh, you know, be responsible and provide for yourself and for your family. That working hard and trust is, is not inconsistent with one another. Though God is sovereign and he is providing, he is calling us to be responsible as well. And so if the birds don't work, yet we work, we know that God will provide through all these different means. And so be responsible, yet trust in God's sovereignty. But also remember that God values you. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, God talks about, or Paul talks about the uh, inheritance that is found and located in the saints. If someone told you that you had a distant relative that had a uh, $5 million inheritance waiting for you, um, you, and you just had to go get it, you would, le- you would leave church right now to go get it, right? Uh, inheritances are valuable to a lot of people. And in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Ephesians says that the location of God's inheritance is found in the saints of God, meaning God's people, the church. And that is mind-boggling because we as Christians, we know that God is an inheritance to us, right? God is the eternal God. He's the holy God. He's righteous. He, is, he gives all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms because of the gospel. And so we acknowledge that God is a great inheritance to us, but that is not what the text says. The text says that God has an inheritance that is found where? In the saints. That means he considers each and every one of you an inheritance. And friends, this is not a a millennial or Gen Z pep talk, meaning like that God just loves you and he just, he cares about you. You should so feel so good and have all these rainbows and puppies in your heart. That's not what I'm talking about. But what the Bible is actually saying is that God does value his children and he values them like they are an inheritance. And so do you believe, saints, that in the midst of the troubles and in the midst of the suffering, that God's, God is actually valuing you through those difficulties, because he does. And he uses creation as that illustration. And so be encouraged, saints. God does value you more than creation. Not only does he give more meaning to life, not only does he value us more than creation, number three, God knows what you need. God knows what you need in verses 31 to 32. Look at verse 31. It says, Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The logical consequence and summary conclusion of all that we've talked about so far is in verse 31. Do not worry. Do not worry. And the reasons, the two reasons why, is that Gentiles worry like this. And secondly, God knows exactly what you need. If you look at verse 32, he says, Don't worry about the physical things of life and all your concerns, because the Gentiles, the people who don't believe in God, the people who don't worship God, they worry like this. Don't worry, he says, like an unbeliever, because that is not who you are. 
He says, when we see the term Gentile, obviously we know that it, it literally refers to the the non-Jewish people, but by way of principle, it has been generally used to refer to those who do not believe and trust in God, right? So when we think of this and the way that Gentiles, uh, even back then, would seek after material things, material things would be the object of their consuming desire. They would live for the material things. They would solve their problems without God. They would try to provide for themselves by their own efforts and by their own resources, Doesn't this sound familiar? It sounds too familiar. Because today's unbelief is also manifested in that way. Where we see people today trying to overwork out of fear, taking overtime when they don't need to. They add pressure to themselves alone to provide and try to solve problems by their own philosophies and flesh or their own tradition. They adopt secular principles and and, and trying to figure out how to uh, give solutions to their issues. And so here we can take a, a broad principle and kind of ask this question, are you solving your problems like a Christian or are you solving your problems like an unbeliever? Because saints, we are called as gospel people to address our issues with gospel solutions. We seek scripture We used wisdom and discernment and the truth. We are gospel-minded in our decision-making. We take counsel from the local church. All of these ways of approaching our trials and anxiety, they are all different from the way that the world approaches solving their problems. And he says, don't worry. Because if you worry this way, you may be looking more like an unbeliever than than a believer. Don't worry like that, but also don't worry because the Father knows what you need. Look at the second half of verse 32. He says, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. What a marvelous statement. Jesus affirms to his disciples that knowledge of their Father's needs, or knowledge of their Father knowing their needs dispels their anxiety. When you know that God knows, you're free from worry. His knowledge of our needs helps us. He knows what we need. He knows how much we need. And he knows when we need it. Which is so interesting because we so much think that we know what we need, how much we need, and when we need it. And sometimes our timeline and our degree and our, uh, our needs or perceived needs... They go in deep conflict with what the Father has for us. But we have to be reminded of this verse, saints, that says, The Father knows exactly what you need. And so since he has an eternal sovereign vantage point, and he's the one directing everything in our lives providentially according to his holiness and righteousness, we can find a confidence for the future that even though we don't know the future... God knows the future. And if you're like me, sometimes you can struggle where I feel like I have to know everything and plan it all out in my calendar. And if there's like a curveball or something that happens out of the plan, then I get derailed. And if you're, if you, if you're like me in that sense, where you just need to know the future before having that peace, I want to encourage you, saints, that you actually don't need to know. You might be here today with a lot of questions a lot of unanswered questions about your life, about your circumstance. And if I can encourage you today, saints, 
you actually don't have to have answers to those questions. All you need to know is that God has the answer to the question. He might give it in this lifetime, or you might receive that answer in eternity to come. It doesn't matter. What matters is that God knows. And when he knows, he can implement his plan for your life and for the universe and glorify himself through that. John Piper has this good quote that says uh, that God has a tailor-made plan for us. He said, he has plans for the whole universe, and he has a tailor-made plan for your life and every piece of it. A tailor-made plan. One of the most victorious things that me and my wife can experience when we go shopping is buying fitted clothes. Because sometimes when I shop, I don't find clothes that fit. When it says one size fits all, it actually means one size fits some. And so I love it when clothes fit well. And people will spend a lot of money to fit and tailor make clothes to fit their unique body type. Why? Because when clothes fit, it's a beautiful thing. Amen? And when we think of tailor-made plans in light of the sovereignty of God, it's so illustrative because we see that God has has a tailor-made sovereign plan for each and every one of our lives. You know what that means, saints? That whatever is happening in your life, yes, that does belong there. You would think that, oh, Lord, why is this health issue here? Why is this person in my life? Why am I going through this? It's a tailor-made plan for your life. Why? Because God knows what you need. And God knows how to glorify himself. So, application, pray. Chapter 6, verse 8 says, God knows what we need even before we pray to him. How wonderful that is. So, pray and trust and express that concern in prayer. And that's where anxiety can be released. It's when we're on our knees and, and giving our burdens to God, cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. And also wait for God. If God hasn't answered your questions, wait on him. Philip de Courcy says this, when there is no answer, perseverance is the answer. And so wait on God, saints. Persevere. If he still has not yet answered your question, wait on God. Number four, God holds the future. God gives more meaning to your life. God values you more than creation. God knows what you need. And God holds the future. Look at verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Look at verse 33. We are seeking... Something, that term seeking is a term that relates to constantly seeking something as a means to find, like you're playing hide and seek. And so you're seeking something out to find it. And what are we seeking? His kingdom and his righteousness. The kingdom is everything related to King Jesus. It is his coming final kingdom and all the things of God related to that. It's the kingdom values. It's the thing that glorifies the king. It's everything that honors King Jesus in the present. That's what it means to seek his kingdom. But it also says to seek his righteousness, which is not just the imputed saving righteousness that took place on the cross of Christ, where 
with the great exchange, Jesus gave us his righteousness so that we, on Judgment Day, are, are, are seen in the righteousness of Christ. It is that righteousness, but it's the ethical righteousness also that stems from that, where we apply that righteousness given to us by Christ as kingdom dwellers who have been made righteous. So you can't enter into the kingdom unless you've been made righteous by Christ. And so it's both a gift, that righteousness, but it's also a pursuit of that righteousness as well. But what is it? He says, seek first. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, meaning it is a first priority in your life. You give your first and best efforts to seeking his righteousness and his kingdom. Our best efforts are directed towards God's work and kingdom concerns and righteous priorities and everything related to the king. And when we do that, he says, then all these things, qualified by the context, all these things when, when it comes to the necessities of life and everything that worries you, he says, all these things will be added to you, meaning God will provide it for you. He will add to you, meaning God has already provided something and he is just adding to that. But the qualifier is that you seek his righteousness and his kingdom first. Which is so interesting because sometimes when we are in anxious moments and we are in trials, the first thing that we're tempted to do is to retreat from kingdom work and focus on our problems. I know that's my tendency, where I feel like that I, I need to solve my problems my way and, and, and just use my efforts to, to solve the issues of my life when it's actually counterproductive that when you're going through anxiety, it's not to focus and hone in on the the problems, but it's actually to focus on God and the kingdom. It's to focus on righteousness. Because as we focus on God, God will focus on caring for our needs. And so when kingdom focus increases, earthly anxiety decreases. And so saints, if I can encourage you in your troubles... That's not the time to retreat. When you're facing anxiety, that's not the time to stop going to church and to stop fellowshipping with the saints at Bible study or, or serving, um, uh, serving faith OPC. That's actually when you double down on the gospel work. Because when you double down on, on serving the Lord and focusing on God and loving others, he says that's your way to God's provision in your anxiety. It's a kingdom ally to focus on the kingdom. There are other kingdom allies against anxiety that we have in the scriptures. The gospel itself, reminding yourself of, of salvation in Christ. The local church. Here, your, your, your community here is a kingdom ally against anxiety. All the ordinary means of grace is a kingdom ally against anxiety. Meditating and memorizing and reading God's word. Praying regularly. Fellowshipping with the saints confessing our sins, having an eternal perspective is also a kingdom ally against anxiety. You know, these days the, the movie trailers are always giving the spoilers to the ending, and I'll find myself sometimes just neglecting those trailers because I, 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 I want to enjoy the movie without being spoiled, right? And so um, I'll do that. I'll neglect the trailers. And that's a good way to um, approach movie watching, that's a bad way to approach the Christian life. 
And so if I encourage you to go to the book of Revelation and spoil the ending for yourself, because that will help you against anxiety. To know how it ends, to know that Christ will return, to know that Christ will be victorious in this world and in your life. Friends, spoil the ending because that will lift up your heart and invigorate your soul in the midst of deep anxiety. It's a kingdom ally against anxiety. And we live out this righteousness, um, but first we have to be made righteous by the gospel. Are you part of the kingdom? Because if you're not part of the kingdom, all of these things are really meaningless and just morals that you're just tacking on to your life. And so you can only be made righteous through the righteous king, Jesus Christ. Are you part of the kingdom through his righteousness? And then it ends with verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow will worry about itself. So tomorrow is personified as worrying for itself, meaning it's just a fancy way of saying God's going to care for tomorrow. God's going to care for tomorrow. He's going to sustain tomorrow's needs. And that encourages us because we know that once a concern arises, God is going to take care of it. Here's another John Piper quote. He says, as soon as we discover we have a problem, God has already been working on it. God is always at work with a solution, and it is already on the way. As we are going through today and we're looking at the troubles of tomorrow, we have to be encouraged to remember that once the problem arises in our life, God has already been at work with a solution. Even though we don't see it, even though it's been taking a while, it's already on the way. That's why he says in verse 34, Sufficient, what does it say? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's another fancy way of saying be a one day at a time Christian. Take it moment by moment, one day at a time. There are sufficient things to deal with day by day. Amy Joseph um, writes this quote, says, when we become overwhelmed day to day, We are reminded to faithfully do the next thing God sets in front of us. A faithful minute becomes a faithful day, which becomes a faithful week, which becomes a faithful year. So this verse is just a practical encouragement that says, you don't have to burden yourself by trying to solve all of tomorrow's problems. What do you need to focus on? Focus on today. If you want to make it even smaller, just focus on the next righteous moment. What is the next righteous thing in your anxiety that God calls you to do? And when you focus on that, by God's empowering grace, you will see moment by moment, day to day, week to week, month to month, years to years, and you're going to look back on your life and you're going to see how faithful God was to both your today and your tomorrow. Make faithful decisions today, friends. Trust God with your decisions of today and tomorrow. Relinquish your worry and anxiety for anything to Christ. Many of you are familiar with that hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow, written by Sevilla Martin in 1905. One of the most famous gospel hymns sung by many popular artists and celebrities of the past. Uh, it was most likely taken from Matthew 6, 26 and chapter 10, verse 29. 
Some of us don't know the background to that hymn where Sevilla Martin, uh, with her and her husband Walter, uh, had a friendship with a particular Christian couple. And this particular Christian couple had a lot of suffering in their life. The, the wife was bedridden for 20 years, and the husband was crippled in a wheelchair for many years. But despite the afflictions, uh, Sevilla and her husband Walter noted that this Christian couple was one of the happiest couples that they've ever met before. And so despite these afflictions, they lived happy Christian lives without any worry. And so Walter one day asked the happy couple, how is it that in the midst of all these troubles, you can still be happy? You can still be free from anxiety? Do you know what the wife said? The wife said, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me, which was the foundation for Villa Martin writing the hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow, which goes like this. Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your watchful eye upon our life. Our Father in heaven, we confess that at times our anxiety will overwhelm us and even blind us from seeing what we should see and going towards you, which is the direction in which we should go. Father, we pray that as we approach our worries and troubles, that our solution for anxiety would come from your word, that it would come from the gospel, and that you would be faithful to us in the midst of these troubles. And so I pray for these saints here, Lord. May we relinquish our worries to you and remember that you will provide for us every single day. Thank you for the gospel hope that we have in Christ. And we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.